0: following is a presentation of gallery church downtown part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display god's greatness to the world for more information please visit gcbdowntown.com
1: all right i'll give everybody a second to turn to their bibles all right then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Those people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is not what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophecy. Your men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and then will prophecy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. And the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as as you yourselves know. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy and presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that god had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne seeing what has what was to come he spoke of the resurrection of the messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay god has raised this jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it exalted to the right hand of god He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, all of Israel, be assured of this. God has made his Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. May God bless the reading of this word.
0: I try to tell you what my sermon meant, um, where they'll sit down like, okay, we know on Sunday Ellis said this, but um, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, so we're going to try to decipher it a little bit, because really all I'm doing today is going to try to tell you what Peter's sermon was all about, um, and that kind of feels a little weird as a pastor knowing I'm doing to Peter what everybody does to me every week, um, and so obviously that was funnier in my head than it looks like on your face. So I'll have to chalk that one up to never use again. So, uh, But uh, 11 years ago, um, I had the opportunity of planning a mission trip for 75 teenagers and adults to go to a remote part of the island of Jamaica um, and serve the poor for a month. And so what we were doing was is we were opening up from eighth grade through seniors in high school where they could go for a week, basically seven nights, um, eight days if you count the travel, and then um, juniors and seniors could then stay for three more weeks, but this well, two, well, two more weeks, and the seniors could stay for four. So it was kind of like a dwindling. So it took a lot of planning because we had waves of people coming to Jamaica and then waves of people leaving Jamaica. But to complicate things, my mother-in-law had never been on an internet. Nationals mission trip before, and she wanted to go. And so this was the finale for me. I was a youth pastor at this church for a few years. It was my last trip with the students before my family moved to Baltimore to begin the church here. And so there was a lot of planning involved, and we took months of of everything from airline tickets to once we got we had to we had to make, um, like, these carpools to the Atlanta airport and then from the Atlanta airport to Montego Bay. And then in Montego Bay, we had to get in these what they call buses but really didn't seem a whole lot like buses um, and throw our luggage and strap it down and then go through a three-hour bus ride up into this remote part of the island. And so there were a lot of details, even down to the food we'd have to eat, uh, making sure that when we took kids to the fast food line, they didn't just get Cokes and fries. You know, it was like, how do we with intention, get a whole bunch of people safely to and from, knowing that the journey was going to be hard, the journey was going to be exciting, there was going to be people who were going to be in good moods, people that were going to be in bad moods, the whole deal was going to be quite the journey, but the the key element was my mother-in-law. Well, we added my mother-in-law late on the journey, and so what I ended up doing was I had to book her on a separate set of flights for that last week. And so in order to do that, I arranged for Ginger's flight to be changed so that she could fly back with her mother-in-law. And Ginger and her mom were supposed to be at the airport for a flight four hours before our flight took off. But somehow in my thinking, I thought that their flight was four hours after our flight took off. Some of you are already seeing where this is going. So I get to the airport and we're all checking in and next thing I know I see the look on my mother in law's face, I see the look on my wife's face, and before long it wasn't it was being communicated that they were not getting on this flight and I went up to the student like, What are you talking about? And like I thought that they could check in for the flight to come and they're like, No, 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 their flight's already gone. And um, I was like, Okay. Can you get them on this flight? And like, No, 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 this flight's oversold. And we're asking for people to get off the plane. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is not going very well. And so lo and behold, we were able to figure out a way. They, they paid people which I think this is very fun. I wish I could have taken advantage of it. They were paying people credits on flights plus hotel to stay and then return trips and I was I'm like why couldn't we take an advantage of that but we couldn't cuz I was responsible for teenagers to get them back to the United States of America and it didn't matter what I was doing for my own personal benefit the parents were going to highly hold me accountable when I got back, right? And so this was a this this turned out to be an epic journey. So eventually they ended up finding um, a flight for my mother-in-law and my wife, but I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to give up my seat on the plane because there's no way I'm going to leave the country with my mother-in-law and my wife left behind. And so I empowered other volunteer <laughs> leaders to get them to America. But the problem was that they could only fly us to Miami. And then we, they couldn't get us from Miami to Atlanta. They're like, but you can get to Atlanta or to Miami, then they might be able to work out getting you to Atlanta. Let's just get you. I'm like, let's just start the journey. Let's at least get going. Like So we decided to get on a flight, the three of us, landed in Miami, went up to every potential airline possible, and they were all oversold. And so then we find ourselves at midnight sitting in the Miami airport thinking, so how do we sleep here? Um, and then Ginger's mom um, graciously got a hotel room in which I was the one that did not get a bed. Um, <laughs> I'll just put it out there. Um, my wife and my mother-in-law slept quite fine that night. And I slept in a comfy chair in the corner, all right? And so, uh, what was that? Well, I was trying to leave you guys out of the journey because I didn't want to make myself look too badly. My, yeah, you know, my daughter just painted a picture a little bit darker. Cause... Needless to say, I had a nine-year-old and a, five-year-old, a four-year-old or eight-year-old and a four-year-old in tow with me as well. And so this was quite the epic journey back, but you can imagine what it felt like the next morning when we got on a flight. We ended up back in Atlanta. We were able to get back and get back to my house, and we sat down like, oh, wow, this is where we were meant to get back to. But goodness gracious, what a journey to get there, right? It was just a- crazy story. Many of you probably have travel stories. Some of you have had the privilege of traveling all around the world, and planes, trains, buses, whatever it is, and and sometimes when they go well, you just get to your destination, you don't even think about it, but when you have to have, when there's lots of bumps in the road, and confusion, and switching flights, and switching airlines, and where are my suitcases, and then where's my bus, and, and wait a minute, the train isn't running, and, and all the other things that hit us, but yet when you finally get to your destination, there is a huge sense of relief. Well that is what's happening in Acts chapter 2. They have been on an epic journey. Now many argue that it's been close to 500 years that they were aware that some, that God was going to do something but it hadn't yet happened. And so I'm hoping that the that the longing of like the, the the tension of my story of like trying to get tickets, trying to get moving, trying to find like where are we, where what can we do? What can we finally do to get to our destination? All of this imagination, the longing, the prayer, the aching, the agonizing, all of that was what the audience that was listening to Peter was feeling. I just—I don't don't want to just focus on the words that Peter said. I've got to help us understand what the people that were listening to Peter's sermon would have been feeling, or else we're going to miss out on what this teaching really fully could mean for us. It's, It's much like me coming in here on a Sunday morning and just preaching and teaching about anything and everything that I want to, but absolutely not even thinking about what you're facing. I mean, why would I come in every Sunday and just be like, okay, let me just come up with a really cool illustration and a really good teaching and go home thinking, man, that was just a really good teaching. And you guys are like, yeah, you just taught us about whatever, and uh, but yet we're all struggling right now to make sense of, of all the racial tension in our country. But yet you're teaching about things that have no bearing on what we're actually struggling through. And so Peter was well aware. I mean, these people in Jerusalem had been longing for a day of a Messiah. They had been longing in looking and meditating in the scriptures. Like, it's not, it wasn't the Google generation. They didn't have mass libraries like we have today. There wasn't near the content of books in circulation as we had. They had their scriptures. And they were pouring through their scriptures trying to make sense of everything that was going on. Into a Jewish person in the first century, as they read the scriptures, they were constantly drawn back to Daniel. Because let me just tell you this. If there was prophecies in the Old Testament that had come true, they probably believed that other prophecies that hadn't come true were going to come true. Does that make sense? So there were things that they read in their scriptures that were going to happen that did happen, like the promise that they were going to go into exile in Babylon, that happened. And when you look at that, there were other scriptures, especially in the book of Daniel, that talked about the fact that once they went into exile, it was going to be approximately 490 years until they finally were set free and that the true Messiah, the true king of Israel, was going to come to rule and to reign. So now just, just think about this logically. For 400 years, there's been family members that have been reading this saying, man, it's only been 70 years. Okay, now it's been 150 years. Now it's been 300 years. Wait a minute, it's 400 years? Could my grandchildren be alive when they're finally set free? when the messiah really shows up do you understand what the people in jerusalem were probably feeling when they were realizing wait a minute isn't it approximately in the end of the 400 year mark should could we be approaching a 500 year mark could it be in our generation that the messiah is going to show up so we have one of the largest jewish festivals and religious celebrations taking place jesus is being crucified The Holy Spirit comes upon them that we read about in Acts chapter 1 in a special way, and now they step out, and all of Peter's sermon is tied to Old Testament prophecies that all of it's now being fulfilled in their generation. Why do you think there's exclamation points in the first half of the sermon behind almost everything Peter's saying? Because he's like, we're finally there! All of the connection flights... All of the hotels, all of the distractions, all of the frustrations, all of the tensions, all of the sleeping on the floor and in chairs and all the things that we going on, we are now finally in it. And so if we read this passage and we read it melancholy and like there's no joy in it and and there's no sense of accomplishment and there's no sense of prophecies being fulfilled, then we are reading Peter's sermon all wrong. And that's why I believe that he spent so much time here. Because not only were the prophecies about their exile and about their sin and about their idolatry and about the way that they were seeking other gods and serving themselves, they also knew that part of the prophecies wasn't just about the judgment on their sins. It was about a time when God was going to reverse all their circumstances. It wasn't just going to be a promise of an eternal separation, but here on earth, heaven and earth were going to come together in such a special way that they were going to get a chance to feel like all of those generational curses have been reversed. And now they're walking in a totally new way, in a totally new kingdom. And so Peter, I believe here, is trying to help communicate to this world. And, this, uh, and, and us to imagine the world that had been longing, thinking, is it now our generation? He's now looking at them saying, how do I communicate to them the best to help them to see and to connect all the dots that it is their generation? And so he goes to the book of Joel, and he begins to talk about all of this, and he uses a key phrase, the last days. Now, the problem is, is that most of us are Western taught. We don't know Jewish customs very well. We don't know imagery. Like even Olivia talking about the song that we sang just a few minutes ago, like, hey, look, there's a lot of imagery in this song. You got to let your brain work because this imagery is something you have to wrestle in and meditate upon. Because when you and I think of last days, you and I mainly just go to the book of, um, that John wrote called Revelation and we start thinking about revelations and about the last days. But according to what Peter is saying, quoting the book of Joel, he's telling them they're in the last days. So this isn't a, let me look at Revelation now and begin to make sense of what the end times as We've heard it described. Let's see what, he's, what Peter is actually saying here. What does he mean by the last days? It was a general term in the Jewish culture coming out of the Jewish scriptures to describe a time when all the promises would be fulfilled. So when you look at the Old Testament, anytime it talked about the last days, it was going to be a period of time when all of God's promises were going to be fulfilled. So now, put aside everything you've ever been taught about the end times and separate your thought from that as far as you can just for a moment. We're going to try to take on a Jewish first century mentality of saying, when is God's promises going to be fulfilled? And Peter saying, they were fulfilled. Not they will be, they were fulfilled. And he starts talking about, to them, the power of what Jesus did, the miraculous signs, the wonders, all the ways that confirmed who he was and, and, and how powerful he was, so that the people in that first century city of Jerusalem, Jews and Gentiles alike, were listening. He's letting them know that these last days, like, look, the journey we've been on have now climaxed, and everything that is in the promises is starting new Now. Like, this was the first new moment. Peter is stepping in out of the upper room while all these signs and wonders are going on, and he's saying to them, We're not drunk. We are just overjoyed by the fact that all the promises have now started to come true. We are now in the new, the old is gone. The news come. And so the journey, the challenge, everything, the signs, he's wanting them to grasp. This this sermon is about looking at the signs, which makes me think of a movie that was not too long ago when Jim Carrey played this guy that wanted to be God, and he starts praying, and next thing you know, he's driving down the road, and there's all the signs saying turn around. He's like, and he's yelling at God, give me a sign, and there's like a truck pulls out, you know, danger ahead. and and And, and we we're sitting there watching the film like, yeah, I've had those moments. Right, But the next thing you know, he he wrecks his car, and he goes out, and he just yells at God, like, why didn't you give me a sign? And then there's like this summation of all the signs that God had given him to turn around, and he still wrecked his car. Peter here is just saying, let's look at the signs. Let's look at the signs. Like, if you missed it before the resurrection, and you've missed it over the last 40 days or so, then let me make sure from this point forward you understand Let me let you see all of the signs that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so here, Peter is talking to him about the last days. But there's also another place in there that begins to talk about another day, the day of the Lord. Now, that's different. And I'm going to help us try to get a picture of this. So when we look at the last days and the day of the Lord, this isn't a literal day. It's not a 24-hour cycle. I want us to, to understand this just for a moment. There was a period of exile for them. Then there's now the present, the last days that they're in. And there's the days of the Lord that were then to come. And so let me talk about it this way. The early Christians believed that they were living in a period of time between the moments when the last days had been launched and when the day of the Lord was going to come. And so we read about that in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, when Jesus promised them when he was going to come back. That's the day of the Lord. So the early church had no problem quickly adopting Old Testament language, saying, okay, the last days are here, which is the promises are being fulfilled and, and have been fulfilled, and evil has been defeated. And so now we can walk in the promises of God fully, right? And so now he's saying, but there is still a day that's going to come, That it's all going to be underneath of Jesus' control and heaven and earth are going to come together. And so these are different days. I don't want you to get them mixed up. The last days and the day of the Lord are not the same thing. Because now the book of Acts started a period that we're still in. We're in the last days. That's the present. It has been now going on for 2018 years. So we're now in Acts chapter 2018, the present age, this, or the, the, la- the last days, the present time. And so there's going to come a time when the day of the Lord is here, and then heaven and earth are fully going to be integrated. Amen. And that's why the resurrected body of Jesus Christ was so important. That's why Peter, in his sermon, is coming back to it and talking about it in light of what David experienced. He's like, look, David's dead. David's in the ground. His bones and his body are going to de- have decayed, and we still can go to a tomb where we can see his remains. But Jesus was bodily resurrected. It wasn't that spirit just came up. It wasn't that he just his soul just now ascended to heaven. He came up with the eternal body. And let me just tell you guys this, that he promised that each and every one of us was going to get. That it's very important that we understand this. God has a plan for you and I to be made whole. Heart, mind, soul, strength emotional, physical, spiritual, the whole deal, complete. That's the day of the Lord. And we will be resurrected with Jesus Christ. And we will be able to walk around. I hope that we can walk through walls. That's going to be really cool, right? Um, I mean, I, I, be able to walk through walls and be able to sit down and eat at the same time is fascinating to me, right? And so, But yet there's going to be just this incredible amount of, of joy that is going to come through all of that. And so they've been through a time of exile, and they're in the last days. But I want you to catch by the passages that Peter is saying, is that the last days are not the good days. The day of the Lord is when everything is going to be right. There's glimpses in the last days. There's glimpses in the present where you and I are going to realize that, man, heaven is on earth. And then there's other days we're just gonna be like, oh my goodness, heaven is so far away. And we're in the present. And so when we look at this, there are terrifying times. There are times of great instability and uncertainty. Welcome to the book of Acts. We will experience this over these next several months. They didn't have a red carpet rolled out in front of them because, because now they had Jesus, everything was going to be easy because there's still work for us to do. There's still people in captivity need to be set free. And he wants us to be a part of that. So the prophets didn't just warn of the terrible times. They warned about just the fear. But they also started to talk about the fact that there was going to be a new day when slaves were going to be free, where men and women were going to worship together, and when the old and young were going to worship together. There was going to come a time which is in the last days, not the day of the Lord. That's a different time period. Peter is saying here that in the last days, which is the present time that we're living in, that everyone is in. Did you see how many times Peter said all in this passage of Scripture? There wasn't just a class of people that were getting in. There wasn't just a Jewish group of people that were in. It was everyone in Jerusalem, men, women, Jew, Gentile, people from all over the place were included in this. And if we're not careful, that will not strike us as in a powerful way as it should, because many of you in here have already overcome all those burdens. Like, you, And that is a testimony to the renewal work of Jesus Christ in your life. But we are living in a day where there are a lot of people that still don't get this. Where we still look at each other like, I'm better than you, or I have more value than you, based upon, it might be the look of us, the skin color. We still have a serious skin color um, disease amongst our culture today. We have a huge economic disease culture, where people that have hate people that have not, and have not hate people that have, and we all realize that we have nothing, Right? But yet there's a huge tension between somebody having excessive amounts of food on their table and those that have very little food on their table. But yet Jesus stepped in in the church, which we're going to see in Acts 2 through 8, where they settled all those issues. And so Jesus did all of this, and we are living in a present age with the prophecies of Joel, the quotations from the book of Psalms, to say there is a new king and a new Lord, and we have to follow after him. It's a powerful statement, but he's saying to all of them, in the name of Jesus, everyone is going to be saved. Genders, ages, social classes, all of that. But being saved wasn't just going to heaven. We talked about that leading up to Easter. When we read in Acts chapter 2 and we hear the introduction of this massive word of Scripture called salvation, salvation, Acts does not do the full theological work on what salvation means in Acts chapter 2. We've got to get into Acts 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way through and begin to see how it's fully broken out. But yet what Peter is saying here is that God, knowing God's rescuing power, the power revealed in Jesus Christ, which anticipated all of those prophecies and fulfilled all of those prophecies, was God's final great act of deliverance. It wasn't just so that people could go to heaven. It was so they could be delivered here on earth. It was to break chains, set people free, put people together. And when, so when he's introducing the concept around salvation, it wasn't just personal salvation so I could go to heaven, which, yes, when we're right with God, we get the joys of eternity with him. But there are a lot of people right now here on earth that are bound up under pressures that we have the capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring relief to them. And Peter is just now starting a theology in Acts chapter 2 that we're going to develop through Acts chapter 9 about what it looks like for you and I to be fully in expression of the term salvation. Because it's not just for us to go to heaven. That is one tremendous benefit is that we get to step into heaven. But it's not an evacuation clause where we get to hit a button and say, "Wow, I'm out of here. It is a power clause that strengthens us to bring it here to earth. And it's something for us to be a part of. And so Peter is dropping the bombs now in the second half of this teaching. First part is like, whoa, yes, it's all here. The second part is, let me tell you why it had to come. The powers of the world, the systemic issues that we're facing. And he starts listing them off, the the religious leaders and the Roman leaders that put Jesus on the cross and everybody that had a part in it. And then he also begins to talk to them about the ways that people had just totally missed out in the idolatries of the world. And so Peter's speech is ramping up about these last days, but he says all of it hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of you, when you talk to your friends, you're not confident in talking to them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus If there's anything that I can teach you as a believer over these next several weeks or other teachers that come in to stand here to talk to you about the passages of Scripture, this is a must. The words death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus have to flow off of our tongue. Because that is what all of this hangs on. If Jesus isn't resurrected, this isn't true if Jesus isn't fully bodily resurrected and sitting at the right hand of God and the first of all of us to experience that, then there's a serious problem to the way in which we're practicing our faith. And so many of you have had a hard time. You're like, you know what? I'll talk to people about love. I'll talk to people about unity and what it's all like. And so we talk to people about everything that Jesus started to fix, but yet we won't talk to people about Jesus. Have you ever... Had anybody take claim to your work? Some of you are like, yep. It's painful when you've worked hard, you had an idea, and you start developing it, and next thing you know, somebody's like, hey, that's a great idea. And next thing you know, it's announced to the company as somebody else's idea. It's a bad deal. Why would we do that to Jesus? Why would we want everybody to experience the benefits of Christ in this world but yet not tell them it's because of Jesus Christ? So we're going to get a great crash course over the next few weeks of what it really looks like to open our mouth and actually mention Jesus as Lord and Master and Messiah over all of the world. And so there's so much in the second half of this letter that is revolutionary language. It's almost like riot language. Because basically what he's saying, quoting David, is like, you know what? No, Jesus is the true Lord. He's the true king of the kingdom. So that rules out everybody that's Roman. And that rules out everything in the temple. And have you ever wondered why in this passage of scripture the spirit was falling and moving, but there's none of the current religious leaders in the temple even mentioned? I mean, how could the Messiah come and the religious leaders not be a part? Now, we do know, like, Joseph of Arimathea and others that were working in the temple did get it. And I'm grateful for that. But I'm also grateful that there were so many men and women that did get it, but they didn't have the positions and the power and culture, but they just stepped into it saying, this is what we need to do. And I had a young man call me yesterday on the phone who's struggling leading in his occupation because he's like, well, everybody else has this, everybody else has that, everybody else has this. But he's like, I know the Lord wants me to lead. And then I'm like... (laughs) lead if he wants you to do it then he's going to give you the power to do it so don't fear what other people have done when God's anointed you to lead open your mouth speak truth in love you know and this is what Peter is setting as an example for all of us what it looks like through the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus promised the disciples that a spirit was going to come and when he came he was going to give them a power to do what say it out loud the Spirit's going to come, and you're going to be empowered to be my Mm-mm. witnesses. Witnesses. What do witnesses do? They tell people what they've seen. Right? They, they tell people what they've seen. And so if you and I have had a moment where our eyes and our soul and our mind and everything has been opened to the miraculous gift of Jesus Christ, when you feel fear of opening your mouth, What has God promised you? He's going to give you power to do what? Witness. So why would you quench his power flowing through you? He didn't say, I'm going to give you power so that when you touch handkerchiefs, people could be healed. That was an end result of them being powered to be witnesses. It says the Holy Spirit was using those moments to confirm the powerful work that he was already doing in them. It didn't come first. It came after. So we have a power given to us to open our mouth and say everything about unity and love started in Jesus Christ. And it's through him that we have the ability whether men or women, whether dark skinned or light skinned in any shade in between, whether rich or poor, doesn't no matter what occupation, amount of education, because of Jesus we can come together in a room in unity and oneness and begin to make sure that we're walking in God's kingdom. It's because of Jesus. And this is what Peter is saying. And he's making a very bold statement to say the religious temples have failed you, the governments have failed you, but Jesus, as Lord and Messiah, will not fail us. And that's who we get to follow. He is both Lord and he is both Messiah. God's plan of salvation was always intended to climax in this day in Israel and then spread around the world. That's what was prophesied, that's what was said. It was going to happen, and it has happened. So where do we have doubts right now? Where do we think that maybe God can't do it? Because he's already done incredibly powerful things in the past, so he is very capable of doing that in our generation right now. So here's two things. What does does this sermon really simply say about Jesus? Number one, God intended Jesus to die as the climax of his rescue operation. And and two, the intention and actions that sent Jesus to his death were desperately wicked. So this is what Peter's saying. It all happened to climax the rescue operation, and all the activities were just wicked. The problem is, is what we talked about, even going back to our Ephesians study in January is most of us don't feel like sinners. We don't feel wicked. And we've used the Luke passage of the woman laying at Jesus' feet, weeping and crying and wiping, her hair, wiping his feet with her hair. And then the religious leader's like, what is this woman doing? And he's like, let me ask you. If somebody owed a debt of $500 and somebody owed a debt of $50 and they were both forgiven, who would have more appreciation? The problem is, is that most of us don't appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is because we only feel like we owe God a dollar. A lot of us fail to really believe or to trust in the powerful work of Jesus Christ or even be moved with excitement and compassion, joy because we don't feel like we owe Jesus but a dollar. And so when he pays that, we're like, okay, thanks, now I get to go to heaven. But in actuality, there was wickedness that needed to be dealt with, and it's in the heart of every human being. Just hold your thoughts captive for a little while. What are you thinking about? What are you doing? What are you dwelling on? Where's... Um, where's selfishness creeping in? So we're going to be talking a lot about that. And so what does Peter say, very simply here at the end of his sermon, to these religious leaders? He's like, look, the religious leaders of this day, can you see why the religious leaders hated Peter? And it is because he said to them, look, you only have one option, is to repent. He's like, look, you'll be forgiven, but all of the things that you've been doing wrong is you just have to repent. And that's where we are today. It's like, God, forgive me for treating you like I only owed you a dollar. Father, forgive me for, for whatever, my selfishness. Forgive me. All we got to do is repent. That's the only option. That's what all that Peter is saying here is that we need to repent. And so the thing that we love about this, and this is how I'm going to close this, is that in the course of all of this, Jesus destroyed all the evil systems in the world. The problem is is that there are a lot of people that are still trying to keep evil systems implemented in the world. And let me just ask us, when was the last time you spent time just meditating through the scriptures, asking God, where are you still participating in evil systems? Because Acts 2 is starting to confront all those evil systems that Jesus dealt with going up to the cross, the last week of Jesus' life, and now the disciples are now embracing it fully, and they're stepping into all of it. And now we're going to get a chance to see what it looks like when you and I say Jesus is the way. Jesus is life. And we start to make sense of the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, when I actually live this way, people hate me. Wait a minute. If I love an enemy, there are people that hate that enemy so much that they turn their hatred on me. But I'm loving an enemy, and I'm praying for those that persecute me. When we start walking out what Jesus actually said, there will be people that think that we're ridiculous. And there will be people that will turn their hatred towards us. But we must walk by faith in all of this. And so let me pray. Father, I pray and ask in Christ's name that you would do something special in us today. And Father, as we sing some songs, we come to the Lord's table. Lord, we just want to say, Father, we uh, would you forgive us of where we've fallen short? Would you forgive us of our sins and our trespasses? And would you help us to stand on the promises of God? Thank you for the prophecies fulfilled in Joel. Thank you for the prophecies fulfilled in Daniel. Thank you for the ways that you've been faithful. And so, Lord, you have promised us power to be your witnesses, and we want to walk in that power. And so, Father, today, as many of us are facing Um, incredibly difficult and challenging times. Would you show us how you are with us in the valleys as well as on the mountains? And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.